only comment on Antonio Brown for today. If Antonio Brown doesn't apologize to Ed Bouchette and to Children's Hospital and do so in a public fashion, then Art Rooney doesn't care. We already know Mike Tomlin doesn't care. And we will know for certain that the clowns are officially running the circus. So that's the only comment I intend to make. But it's a long three hours, and things can change. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, say no more. This is the Mark Madden Show. I am a super genius with a tested IQ of 166, and you can't teach that. Bada boom, smartest guy in the room. 412-333-WXDX is the number to call. Or you can follow me on Twitter. At Mark Madden X. Uh, the Pirates lost at Minnesota last night by a 5-2 score. They're currently winning in game two of that series against the Twins. 4-2 in the fifth inning. The Pirates are 5-7 and seven since they got Archer and Kellup. And time is rapidly getting tighter. The big bucko conversation appears to be The trade for Archer uh, was completed yesterday. The third player going to Tampa Bay along with Meadows and Glasnow is Shane Boz, a right-handed pitcher in A-ball. A pretty good talent. The number three prospects in the Pirate system, it was set. Uh, Some people now don't like the trade, but that's dumb. You gotta like legit number three starter in Archer. At least number three, with potential to be higher up the rotation than that because Archer has been before. You gave up three prospects, all at least decent. That sounds about right. That's the return Tampa was gonna get for a guy like Chris Archer, and the Pirates should not regret the deal. You got a starting pitcher, middle of the rotation at worst, top of at best, with contract control through 2021 at a reasonable price, too. A guy like Archer doesn't come cheap. Uh, Huntington did a good job trading tomorrow for today and got a bit of tomorrow, like I said, through 2021 with Archer's contract. Your thoughts, 412-333-9939. Uh, here's the latest on Ben hitting his head. He's in concussion protocol and wasn't going to play tomorrow night at Green Bay in that preseason game anyway. So if it's not a long-term injury, I don't see this as a big deal. Uh, ben accidentally collided uh, with Marcus Gilbert and a defensive player. Gilbert said that Ben's head whipped back. It makes you not want to let the starters practice at all, let alone play in the preseason games. It would be better to have Ben Roethlisberger in bubble wrap because without him, the Steelers are a five- or or six-win team. 
if you knew Cleveland was going to suck, like Cleveland has the last two years, you could treat week one like the last preseason game. But like I said, Cleveland is going to be better, and that game looms as a bit of a banana peel. Uh, We had Peter King on yesterday. It was a great interview, great NFL insight. If you missed it, that will air again at 3.30. Late in the show yesterday, early in the show today, because I've worked hard enough, long enough, and it, uh, like I said, uh, Pete dispenses great football expertise. Anyway, Peter talked about Jarvis Landry, uh, the new bronze wide receiver acquired from Miami. Uh, Peter King talked about Landry chewing out his teammates on hard knocks saying the days of this being a bad team are over, but here's what you got to do. And Steeler fans laughed at that. But Peter King's right. That reflects a new edge that the Browns need and which they sorely lacked in the past. Anyway, you get scared anytime Ben goes down. If Ben couldn't play in a real game, if, if Ben couldn't play week one, God forbid. But if he couldn't, Landry Jones would play. Landry Jones would start, no question. It's way too early for Mason Rudolph. If Ben got hurt, Antonio Brown would get the boo-boo face big time because his numbers would go to hell. That happened before when Jones had to play, remember? There are so many reasons the Steelers would suck without Ben. It's a scary thing to even think about. If Ben missed the whole year, God forbid, like I said, the Steelers would be a six-win team at best. At best, a six-win team. You know, I got a bunch of tweets yesterday. Oh, you hate the Steelers. What kind of Pittsburgh guy are you? I'm a Pittsburgh guy with a working brain, and then some, like I said, a tested IQ of 166. And I don't hate the Steelers, but I will be very blunt. I can't stand Antonio Brown. Uh, Juju and Lev Bell are buffoons. So is Vince Williams. But otherwise, I got no problem. There's some bad players on that team, but not bad guys. I don't like Mike Tomlin either. I think he's a phony I think he plays favorites. I think he smirks at the team's lack of discipline and focus, even as it costs the team, which undoubtedly it did last year in that Jacksonville game. Tomlin always, to me, seems to have an agenda beyond winning, but whatever. Let's just get to week one. Let's just play some real games. It's very interesting how the national football media are talking about the Steelers. Kyle Brandt of the NFL Network says the Steelers are, quote, the most desperate team in the NFL, unquote, because their window is closing. The most desperate team in the NFL. You know, I agree with that. Because I don't think Ben is going to play four more years as he's kind of teased. And if he does, he certainly won't be at his peak uh, by the end. Jared Bell of USA Today called the Steelers a tease team. They look good, but they don't produce. Uh, Bell reminded us, too, of what 
James Harrison pointed out that the Steelers lack discipline and focus. And boy, here in Pittsburgh, we're pretending like James Harrison never said that, but he did, and it's probably true. When Harrison went to New England, ah, Tom was screwed up. Should have played him. Steelers should have kept him. Steelers screwed up. Tom was screwed up. And then when Harrison made the Super Bowl, it was like a lot of you were rooting for him. Even though he's on the Steelers' most hated rival. But now that he's telling the truth about the Steelers, which is the most relevant thing James Harrison has done concerning the Steelers in quite some time, it's like y'all wearing earplugs. Y'all just don't want to hear an unpleasant truth. You're not yelling fake news because you know it's true. Y'all just not hearing what James is saying. Uh, if these Steelers don't win, and the Bell and Brown era closes with a big goose egg in the ring department, that would have to be a bitter disappointment, wouldn't you say? Except nobody will have to answer for it, so in the big picture it's oblidee, oblida, life goes on, brah. And you will bitch then, but you won't bitch now when you should be able to see it coming. Uh, make no mistake, it's really hard to win. But with Bell, Brown, and Ben, this version of the Steelers should have done better. And I have trouble blaming Ben because he's got two rings. Bell and Brown have bupkis. Uh, the word is that Juju Smith-Schuster is having some great practices. Good. Uh, maybe somebody gave him a kick in the backside after he blew a couple routes in practice about a week ago because that's how it's supposed to work. Uh, Pirates still head 4-2 in Minnesota. Some people expressed surprise that Francisco Cervelli was uh, behind the plate today because he caught last night, and he also took a, a ding to the face mask last night. Caught a foul ball. And, uh, of course, we're all on concussion watch with Cervelli. Oh, he should play first. He should be a DH. He should be in the outfield because you want to protect his career. But as I've said many times, if Cervelli can't catch, he's not really a major leaguer. His output offensively is good for a catcher. It's really not good for any other spot he could hold down. And I think him catching today after taking the ball to the face mask last night and after having caught last night, uh, you know, catching now a day game after night game, shows the Pirates have figured out it's a, it's a pretty, I don't want to say grim situation, but like I said, time is getting very tight very quickly. They're in the race now for that second wild card, but it's on the very fringe of the race. They got to get, gotta get a couple teams behind them that are ahead of them. They're not going to suddenly jump four teams the last day. That just isn't going to happen. But boy, if it did, what a story. Uh, a, a little later, talk about the St. Louis Cards. They have come on real strong, seven straight wins. And up next, we're going to talk about Joe West, the home plate I'm par last night. Today he's working his... 5,164th career game. They got him on the TV screen right now. He's got like nine chins, a big gut, and a fat ass. And he's out there mangling. Well, last night he mangled the strike zone. And we will talk about that in just a moment here on 105.9 The X. 
And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Mark, big fan. We get a bunch of dorks, dinks, and twits. Is this Mark Madden? My mouth is watering just talking about it. The X at 105.9. You know it should serve as inspiration for the Pirates to, to stay in the hunt here? Oakland in the American League. The A's just keep winning. They've won four in a row, eight of their last ten. And people are already saying, it's so unfair that the Yankees have to play a one-game wild card. They're the second-best team in baseball. The A's are only three games behind the Yankees. The A's are only one game behind a defending world champion Houston on top of the AL West. And if you look at that Oakland A's roster, boy, it's a long way from Joe Rudy, Reggie Jackson, and Catfish Hunter. I know, like, a, a couple of them. But that Billy Bean, boy, no budget, money ball. Everybody does money ball now. And the A's don't always win. But every once in a while, at one low, low price, he pulls a rabbit out of his hat. Got to be tough with Jonah Hill being your assistant. What's that guy know about baseball? Uh, I watched a little bit of the Pirate game last night. Joe West was the home plate umpire. And he was just mangling the strike zone. He's this veteran ump. Second most games worked ever. Has all kinds of respect, they say. But I don't know what for because he mangles the strike zone. They need to go with the electronic strike zone. They need to let the computer and the camera call every pitch. All you need then is two umps to work the bases, and they're going to defer to replay all the time anyway. If the umps were better, they wouldn't need to be replaced. But they suck, so ditch them. Ben Zobrist of the Cubs, he got ejected last night for the first time in his career, and Zobrist point blank said, we need the electronic strike zone. The priority shouldn't be maintaining the human element or, or making sure the umpires have jobs. Machines have been replacing men for over 50 years now. Why should the umpires be any different? The priority should always be getting the calls right. MLB is big, big business. Here's a good thing happening to a good guy, but it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, remember the guy who played for the Penguins, Joe Vitale? He is the new color commentator for the St. Louis Blues radio team. Now, Joe played some for St. Louis, and he uh, is a St. Louis kid, a product of that area. But when he played here, he couldn't string, like, two words together as I recall talking to the media. And he's not a great player since it's not like he brings this cachet. You know, he's not like, you know, Gary Unger or, or, or Bernie Federko in St. Louis. He's just some local bum who played in the league for five minutes. Good for him, but I don't get it. I hate the concept that only ex-players can be color commentators in all the sports. Let me tell you, I've heard a lot of ex-hockey players do games on the radio and on TV. Paul Steigerwald on color was as good or better than any of them. Steigerwald got moved to play-by-play play and did great. I always thought his forte was color. 
I always said he made the game uh, interesting beyond what was going on on the ice. Uh, big day tomorrow in the Madden household. Uh, I got a washer, a dryer, and a refrigerator coming the same time. So if tomorrow's show uh, seems hasty and ill-prepared, like it was just thrown together at the last minute, that's because it will likely be hasty and ill-prepared and thrown together at the last minute. But but like I said, I've worked hard enough, long enough. Oh, and by the way, I got yet another quarterly ratings bonus in my paycheck today. They are so frequent, the bosses don't even bother to tell me they're coming. It, it's like my 10th or 11th straight quarter getting a ratings bonus, and I'm not going to tell you how much it is because you know, it would embarrass you. It's more than you make in your normal check. So anyway, uh, tomorrow's show might suck, but uh, I've always wanted a refrigerator that dispenses crushed ice. And if one day show sucking is the price I have to pay for that, well, I'm ready and willing. But that's what they said about uh, the White Snake album of the same name. 412-333-9939. Oh, oh, the other thing tomorrow that's busy. Aerosmith is playing a residency in Las Vegas next spring and summer. All the tickets go on sale tomorrow, advanced sale, so i got to get on there and and pay through my nose. God, it's going to cost so much to get great tickets. I'm debating whether whether to see Aerosmith four times in eight days, one fell swoop, or to go out there twice and see him like twice once and three times the other time. Hey, I've said that next year is my last year of making all these shows because it's supposed to be the last UFO show, uh, the last UFO tour, rather. Definitely the last UFO tour. I hear rumors it's the last Whitesnake tour, and Aerosmith's definitely winding down, so might as well do it while I can. Randy Bauman and I had an interesting talk today on the DV Morning Show about the different eras of Aerosmith. And I agree that the stuff like the song from Armageddon, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, that was their uh, equivalent of Foreigners, I Want to Know What Love Is. Number one hit, but it you know you might as well rip your balls off and throw them into a sewer. But, uh, but and some of the stuff like Pink, you know, the, the, the latter-day stuff they wrote with, like, Marty Fredrickson and stuff, I don't like it as much, but it's still pretty good. At least they kept the uh, classic rock banner flying. Oh, speaking of which, on the Mark Madden page at WXDX.com, Greta Van Fleet has a new music video out. I I already posted the uh, video of them playing their new song, When the Curtain Falls, live on Jimmy Fallon. But this is their like MTV Glory Days music video. It's like just like those videos we saw on MTV all the time back in the 80s. It's really good. And it has, I'll let you watch it. And they must like the Zeppelin comparisons, the Z word. Even though Slash just got quoted, these kids are great. They get up there, they play their ass off. I wish they didn't sound so much like Zeppelin. That's exactly what he said. The Slash quote is part of my blog. But uh, but if you watch this video, I placed a video before below it too. It's the scene in Zeppelin's The Song Remains the Same where Jimmy Page is the hermit of the tarot, climbs the hill. And if you watch the two back-to-back, obviously the production 
is much better on the Greta Van Fleet video, but there are some marked similarities. So I, I think they like that stuff. I, I, how could you not? How could you not want to be Zeppelin? Okay, we got Peter King next. It's the best football talk. Well, I was going to say in time, but really anywhere. Peter King next on 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. I'll throw that person off the stage. Uh, hey, Mark, love the stuff. I'll be here for you, just like you've always been here for me. VX at 105.9. My guest right now is America's number one football writer. Be sure to check out his new home. It's Football Morning in America at NBCSports.com. He is the great uh, Peter King. Peter, I enjoyed your video about Steelers training camp in Latrobe, PA. It really is a special sight and vibe, isn't it? The the thing I've always told people, Mark, is that um, is that if you really love football, you know, if that's if that's something in your life that's really important, you need to come to Latrobe, Pennsylvania, one day in the summer, and especially early. Because I'll tell you, I've seen so many beautiful mornings there. And that video that we did, uh, we saw what I have seen before because I've, I compare it to Scotland because I've been to Scotland. And you get up early in the morning in Scotland and you see the, the, the mist rising right off the ground. And that's exactly what you see right around that area at St. Saint, at Saint Vincent and across the street at uh, the Arnold Palmer Airport that it just really reminds me of those rolling hills, the undulating rolling hills. It just reminds me of Scotland. And I think just the scene there and the way the Steelers touch their fans and the way their fans touch the Steelers, uh, it's unfortunately, Mark, it's becoming increasingly rare in football. And I think it's an absolute, absolute shame uh, that more teams uh, are going away from the training camp camp mode the training camp model and they're moving back to their facility and uh for you know year round and uh, i just think you miss so much by not being out with the people in places like latrobe pennsylvania how should i feel about the steelers right now peter because there's certainly a mixed bag and it's divided along the lines of offense and defense almost in cliched fashion um well, I think you should be right in uh, in wondering what you're going to get with this team. You should be right in wondering, uh, you know, about uh, you know about who who's going to get sacks. Um, you know, obviously you got you got one, uh, you know, a guy who is the Ironhead Junior in so many ways. Um, you know, and I love Hayward, but I. I sometimes wonder, particularly with the drop-off after Ryan Chazier's injury last year, you know, I just wonder how good they're going to be making plays sideline to sideline on defense. Um, so I wonder about that. And, look, <laughs> the secondary has kind of been the bugaboo ever since uh, Troy Palomalo walked away and, 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 and Ryan Clark to some degree. But it's almost... It's almost like a perennial story. Okay, who are the next victims you're trying to corner this year? <laughs> you know, I always just look at their at their cornerback rotation in training camp and say, man, good luck. Uh, so, you know, we'll see about that. But I, I think this is a very, very strange year and maybe a year of transition in that division because probably the, the best sort of 
under uh, you know underrated team, under regarded team that I've seen on my training camp trip so far, and I'm in Oakland right now. The best one I've seen is Baltimore, because if Joe Flacco plays like he he can, um, they have a much better receiving group than they had last year. Uh, they've got a really intriguing tight end scenario there, and I think they got two or three good young defensive uh, you know cornerstone guys. I think they're, they could play with the Steelers this year. We'll see. But, uh, I, I mean, and, you know, Cleveland's not going to be horrible forever, I don't think. So it's going to be an interesting year in this division. Let's stay with Cleveland. Uh, I'm loving the Bronze on hard knocks, by the way. And certainly yeah. it's an easy act to follow after these last two seasons. But uh, there seems to be something there that they had lacked. They seem better organized, and certainly they have better personnel, don't they? If you if you were to ask me, you you just said it, Mark. There is something there that they've lacked, and you know what it is? It's the attitude of Jarvis Landry and players like him. You know, Jarvis Landry in that first Hard Knock show was to me. If I'm Hugh Jackson, I am I'm standing up and cheering when he rips into his receiver group for not practicing and not going hard in practice. And he said, "Hey, this is over." This horse crap Browns thing is over. And, you know, if you're not going to practice hard, get out of here and stuff. like. I mean, finally, finally, you know, and I was skeptical on paying a slot receiver so much money the way they paid Jarvis Landry. But finally, Mark, you seem to have this sort of uh, this attitude among a bunch of players on this team. Like, we are tired of this stuff and we're going to do something about it. Time will tell if it works. And, uh, you know, you may have to uh, put boxing gloves on the coordinators because Todd Haley and, uh, <laughs> and Greg Williams have been going at it. But you know what? I'll tell you what. I'd honestly rather have that than I would be, hey, hey, nice game. Good job. We lost 32-6. to But, boy, medals for trying this week, guys. No, no, I, I definitely agree. And staying with the AFC, beyond the usual favorites, the team that intrigues me is the L.A. Chargers. I think they yeah. could be really, really good, and I think you probably agree with that, don't you? Well, I spent time with Philip Rivers Saturday night in Phoenix, and uh, we had a good conversation. And one of the things that I said is that losing your tight end, Hunter Henry, really, really concerns me. Like, Hunter Henry, to me, could have been this year. He tore his ACL in May at minicamp. Hunter Henry, to me, could easily, easily, be, uh, you know, have Antonio Gates' production in that offense. And and I think that is the one thing about that team that worries me. they got enough defensive weapons and all that. But Rivers told me, he said, you just got to watch Mike Williams, 6'4", 225, first-round pick last year, receiver, had back issues the whole year, seems to be back and okay. And he said, just watch what Mike Williams does in the intermediate part of the field. Uh and, 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 you know, I think we'll be okay there. But I think you're absolutely right. Mark, nobody remembers this. This team was 9-3 and three in the last 12. Three of the losses, all three losses to playoff teams, two of them to New England and Jacksonville. And they totally, totally blew the Jacksonville game. This is a team that feels, I can tell you this, is still spitting nails over missing on the playoffs last year. So I think they come into this year, you're right, 
they are my uh they're my uh my team that that uh, I think them and Baltimore in the AFC are going to surprise people. We're talking to Peter King. Check out his uh Football Morning in America column at uh, nbcsports.com more than a column just uh your source for everything involving the NFL. Uh, that it's, column it's a, is a way of life. <laughs> it really is. It absolutely <laughs> is. Uh, the latest one was a great piece on Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco, and that's an odd dynamic there, isn't it? Not bad, but odd. And he really does give the Niners a good shot at real improvement, doesn't he? My feeling about Garoppolo is that I'm absolutely, totally buying Garoppolo. I, I I realize he's only played seven games, and people think it's insane that he's the third highest paid player in NFL history after starting seven games. I get it. I get the angst about this, but I'm just telling you, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan is as skeptical. He's a, he's skeptical the way Bill Parcells used to be, and the way Chuck Knoll used to be. And I'm serious about this, but 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 he, I mean, he's leading the Garoppolo parade. I think Garoppolo is going to be special. My worry about that team, honestly, uh, I think their skill positions, uh, skill position players are, are not good. And Garoppolo really is going to have to make chicken salad out of that thing. Uh, the only guy, you know, really tight end running back wide receiver to me, the only one is Marquise Goodwin, who's got world-class sprinter speed, and, and I think he could really emerge as a special just a guy. Now, uh, I want to move to the uh, uh, L.A. Rams for a second. Did Todd Gurley's contract really change the landscape for what running backs are going to get paid, or is he the exception to the rule? I think you need one more to change it, okay? So I don't think it'll be Le'Veon. I think the Steelers will, if, he, if, he, if he'll do it, I think they'll make him play out this year. And then it's good by Le'Veon. Um, I think the real test case, huge, huge, huge test case right now, is David Johnson. Now, David Johnson will be the best bargain in all of sports this year at one point eight eight million. If, you know, if he doesn't reach a new deal with Arizona, um, he had one of the great years of running backs had in the years I've covered the league in two thousand sixteen. Uh, it was absolutely terrific. But I think that what we're seeing, honestly, is we're seeing a staring contest between him and the car. One more running back contract has to get signed. And that, when that happens, then all of a sudden, uh, you know, Todd Gurley is not an outlier. It's the start of a trend. So that, to me, is the thing I would watch out for here in the next, next uh, I think, the next few weeks. Now, uh, you mentioned Le'Veon Bell, who is not at Steeler camp yet and probably won't be for a few more weeks. Uh, I think it's fair to question his focus. I, I don't blame him for sitting out because of the franchise tag thing, but uh, is this the year Bell's tardiness might catch up with the Steelers, especially with one foot already out the door? It's a great question, Mark. That would really worry me. And look, it was nothing. I met with Mike Tomlin when I was in camp a couple of weeks ago. It was nothing that Mike Tomlin said for a quote. It was just I could see in his eyes and I could tell sort of in his tone. I think he's worried about Le'Veon Bell for two reasons. Number one, if it's all for one, one for all, if everybody is in there working hard in camp and then one day all of a sudden 
he comes in and uh, he hasn't been there, you know, what does the rest of the team think of that, number one? Number two, you know, the road is littered with guys who've missed training camp, who come in late, and they end up getting hurt, or they just don't have a great year. And I'm not saying that Le'Veon Bell is not in phenomenal shape and is not doing well and all that stuff. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. The thing I am saying is that, you know, if you're not practicing with a football team, if you're practicing independently, I just will have my antennae up if he shows up a week before the season or whatever. And, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's legitimate to wonder how well he's going to play without having been through the kind of practices you need to be in, in my opinion. Now, in that vein, it looks like Aaron Donald, uh, who, of course, is a Pittsburgh guy, may soon sign with the, the Rams, and that's good. He deserves more than he's making, and the Rams need him. Why did the Rams wait till last to sign Aaron Donald? That struck me funny, and it certainly struck him funny. Um, I think they've been trying to sign Donald for a long time. I know Kevin Demoff, the uh, president of the Rams, uh, has taken a few trips uh, to see Donald and his representatives in the offseason. Uh, they've tried to bridge a huge gap. They've been unable to do so. And in my opinion, this is my opinion, Mark, I, I think this is one of those cases where Aaron Donald, perhaps rightfully so. After 51 games last year, Chris Collinsworth said Aaron Donald is a pro football Hall of Famer. He's, he may be taking the mantle right now for J.J. Watt as the best defensive player in football. Of course, Watt hasn't done it for the last two years. So, you know, right now, to me, he is the best defensive player in football. And my feeling is, without any doubt, that the Rams are going to get something done with them. I just, I, I think it might be a while. I think this is going to be one of those things that you'll be surprised that whatever day it happens, whatever day the announcement comes. Uh, how is the helmet rule going to work out? Uh, the flag for hitting with the helmet. Usually the new rule gets called a lot, and then the refs dial it back after a bit. Uh, what are your expectations? I think it's going to be ugly really early in the season. I was talking to an official when I was going through Carolina, um, uh, a longtime official, Jeff Seaman, uh, and he said, hey, you know, probably what you're going to see, with, as, as happens with some of the new rules, probably what you're going to see is that, uh, he's, uh, is that you're going to have this thing officiated better by midseason than it is early in the season. It will be, uh, you know, very much to me anyway. You know, it's going to be disastrous befalling the league, uh, you know, for the first two or three weeks of the season because there's going to be a lot of crappy calls. And so, I, but I would just urge people uh, who are watching football to understand one thing about this. I understand that this that this rule really looks stupid. And it looks, as Joukowsky Tart of the 49ers told me the other day, angrily, really, you know, hey, we're going to end up playing two-hand touch out there, um, that that there are going to be so many plays in the course of a season that you're going to say, well, how could they call that one? He just barely grazed the guy with his helmet. But my only point about this would be very simple. you got parents around the country right now who don't want to send their kids to play football anymore. 
the NFL has to do what I consider to be revolutionary things. This is a revolutionary thing. It's going to really be a tangible, huge change in football. People are going to be ticked off about it, uh, and I get it. But I do think that the NFL has to do everything that it can to try to make sure that parents are not afraid of sending their kids to play football. Peter, as always, this is very much appreciated. I know how busy you are. Uh, how's it going at NBC Sports? The new column, like I said, it's amazing. Not just the quality, but the volume. It's just off the charts. Like you said, it's a way of life. I really love this column, and I love I love what I have been able to bring there and some of the new things that I've been able to do. It's a great, great place to work. I'm, I'm just happy, Mark. I'm going to do be doing a little bit less than I did at SI. And I was at the point in my life where I wanted to do it, and they were ready to do it without me. So it's going to be a win-win for everybody. Peter, again, great stuff. We'll catch up soon, I hope. Thank you very much, Mark. That's the great Peter King. Check him out at NBCSports.com. I'm Mark Madden. Up next, Jalen Ramsey, the defensive back of Jacksonville, had some very interesting things to say about a bunch of quarterbacks in the league and about Ben Roethlisberger in particular. That's up next on 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. I am the voice of the voiceless. <laughs> so, <laughs> just, just a thought. What, what the hell are you talking about? The X at 105.9. Thanks again to Peter King for joining me. Uh, great football insight from Peter. If you like the tweet about it, at Mark Madden X, here's some football talk that I probably should have brought up earlier in the program. Jalen Ramsey, the Jacksonville defensive back, he did an interview in GQ. I guess he's a snappy dresser. And he talked about a bunch of quarterbacks, and he's not real high on Ben Roethlisberger. Here's the quote. Big Ben, I think he's decent at best. It's not Big Ben, it's Antonio Brown. Big Ben slings the ball a lot of the time. He just slings it, and his receivers go get it. He has a strong arm, but he ain't all that. I played him twice last year, and he really disappointed me, unquote. But then Ramsey adds, he'll be in the Hall of Fame and all that, unquote. That's the punchline. Well, also that Ben threw for 469 yards and five touchdowns in that playoff loss to Jacksonville. However, we must duly note that Ben also made some early mistakes in that game uh, that really hurt Pittsburgh. But I gotta like it. Ben's not that good, but he'll be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, needless to say, I disagree with Ramsey. And I think Ben makes A.B. more than A.B. makes Ben, although there's no doubting the contributions of both. Uh, let's see how A.B. does once Ben retires. Then again, A.B. is 30. He's getting near the end of his prime as it is. Can you believe he's 30? You know, I know he is. When you look at his stats, it, it makes sense. When you look at his birthday, it makes even more sense. But you know why you don't think he's 30? Because he's so effing immature. He acts like a 12-year-old. Well, he's not 30, is he? No quarter brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com in just 30 seconds. 
We're going to talk about the completion of the Chris Archer deal. The Pirates gave up their number three prospect, pitcher Shane Boz, to complete that trade. He joins Meadows and uh, Glasnow in Tampa Bay. Pirates, by the way, were ahead 4-2 at Minnesota. Now it's the bottom of the seventh, and they trail the Twinkies 6-4. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. 105.9 The X.